we got taken into an office and we got set down and I mean it was this whole big situation because we brought cameras. She saved me from being on the wrong side of the river when I got left by a plane once. That's right, I remember that. Lazarus was a young boy. The Muslim North were dropping bombs from helicopters in his village. He wanted to run into the church where all of his family and his friends were, with all of his church members. And some man grabbed him and his younger brother and yanked him back and wouldn't let him run into that. And said, run, 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 because these bombs are, are dropping all around. And Lazarus said as he was running away, he looked over his shoulder and he saw a bomb drop on the building kill or maim a majority if not all the people inside and he was able to get away. He ran and ran and ran and... Hello and welcome to the In Touch Mission International Podcast, where you get to hear directly from ITMI partners. I'm your host, Summer Kelly. Today I get to bring you what is really the second part of an interview with Stephen Kent about their recent visit to Uganda and South Sudan. Today we're talking about South Sudan. We're chatting about what things are like right now over there, some of the inspiring people they met, some remarkable background stories from both Vicky and Lazarus that we've never really had a chance to share with too many people, and how our supporters' partnership with Vicky and Lazarus are being used to change the trajectory of so many families and lives. Are you ready? Let's get started. Stephen Kent, welcome back eager to hear about all that happened, so welcome. Great to be here, Summer. Thank you very much. How would you describe the social and political climate in uh, Juba, South Sudan, which is the capital city of that country, and it's where all of our partners currently are based and where you guys spent all of your time? I don't think you can really describe it from a Western perspective unless you've been there. It's typically pretty dry. It's uh, quite hot. Uh, this time, the time that we were there, it was actually uh, a little green because of the rainy season, and so it was very, very humid. Uh, but what was interesting is, is we get off the plane, and we're carrying our, our backpacks. Uh, we, we go through, and it's just bedlam. It's, there's not a lot of, lot of orderliness there. There's just a lot of angst and aggression. We picked our, our suitcases up and they want to look through them. And it's not so much to look through them just to, to make sure you're not bringing any weapons or things like that in. It's, it, it's almost like they go through it much, much different than that to see actually what you're carrying and what you've got. They just want to know everything about you. It's just a very controlling environment. So much so that then they wanted to look in our, our our camera bags, our backpacks. So we unzip those, we open up, we have nothing to hide, and why are you bringing this camera here? Where did you, do you have permission? Where, and they just, they just very aggressively, very intently, harshly started hammering us over the cameras that we brought. Interesting enough, we, we did everything per their website, but everybody operates by their own mindset, by their own situation so you can never get the consistent answer and that's something we've found over and over without a biblical basis there's no consistency there's nothing that keeps people doing the same thing or the right thing it's whatever's right in your own eyes we got taken into an office and we got set down and 
I mean, it was this whole big situation because we brought cameras. We later found out that it was because many times they're so afraid of journalists coming and taking pictures and getting names and getting stories and going back and reporting the human rights abuses. Very true, Steve. I think of, uh, you know, here in the United States, we might know a, a, and we might talk about broken people, one broken person or another broken person, but there it's a whole society of uh, brokenness. We were out visiting in public with Lazarus, our, our partner over there, and uh, we were uh, visiting one of their uh, church members who started a small business. So you think, here's a, here's a godly woman following the biblical principles out in public, and we're just out there visiting her, and we thought, well, we'll try to get a picture or two of her, uh, just so we can show people back here in the States who we're visiting, who's growing in the Lord. As I'm sitting in the vehicle taking a picture, just like you would do here in the United States to anybody out in the public, your friend, your neighbor, anybody who you know, a man comes nearby the car, steps up, and asks us, what are we doing? Very harsh, what are you guys doing? You should not be here taking pictures. So um, we just tell them, hey, very kind, very, uh, very small voice, that uh, humble voice, I guess you would say. Um, we're just taking pictures of our friend. That's all we're doing. It's a friend. Uh, the church members are here and we're taking a picture. All of a sudden he walks over, starts taking down the license plate number of the vehicle we were in, and he was going to uh, notify the authorities. This person came up maybe 30, 40 yards behind where we were taking pictures. So can you imagine b being on the outlook 24 hours a day afraid, traumatized, terrorized, per se, of, of what's going around them. You know, Summer, this is uh, complicated by the fact that they have these warring tribes, and they've been almost like a civil war for quite some time. And uh, when it bubbles to the surface and it goes crazy, the terror and the human abuses are just massive. And so they live in this anxiety of, is it going to bubble up? Is that person over there part of the rebels or is he part of the government? And it doesn't really matter because whether you're government or whether you're the rebels, there's really not a good guy because they all use terror. Just one story. We were told that in some of the villages when the government troops would go out trying to look for the rebels, they would literally go into villages and try to find all the young men from possible fighting age to manhood and they would go in and do away with all of them. They wanted to get rid of the next generation. So then you've got a bunch of women and children who have nobody to protect them. The women get abused and they get the food stolen and because you're in the middle of nowhere you have no store to go to people starve. This is the mindset. The mindset is me, 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 mm -hmm. not the greater good. It's a lot of trauma and they've never gotten the help. They've never heard the truth in such a way that it helps them deal with that. Yeah, so we're talking about generations of people who have grown up that way and then how they perpetrate that, that pain to other people and everybody's on edge because of it. Exactly. There's an area called revenge, and it would be like a neighborhood or a, or a place, and most people don't go there at all because the mindset there, the anger and the bitterness is so 
morphed into this ugliness that you'll be sitting in front of your house on the porch or you'll be standing there with somebody chatting. A car will drive by or a motorbike will drive by and they'll just shoot the people standing there and you're told the reason they do it is because many years ago, in fact, your grandfather was, was spoken harshly to by this grandfather, so they have to make it right. Hmm. And so you have this continual process of revenge, revenge, revenge. And then when you do something, it just escalates it more and it keeps going. They need the truth. They need truth. They need God's truth, God's love. That's why we keep going back. So what did the Lord use our partners or maybe a believer there to teach you? For me, these trips are always about learning and seeing how God is blessing and using somebody who has so much less than I do. And, and yet they do it with joy. Our partner in South Sudan is Vicky Waraka. Vicky's never married. I met her many, many years ago in a rural village where she helped take care of our Tim Keller. She hosted us. She saved me from being on the wrong side of the river when I got left by a plane once. That's right. I remember that mm -hmm. now. <laughs> yeah. uh, she arranged for me to be taken care of over an American Thanksgiving holiday. But I've told, I've told people for years, if you were to go to a Merriam-Webster's dictionary and you were to look under the word gentle, this dear precious little lady's face would be there. She is just the most gentle, sweet lady. I've known her for probably 15 years, and she has probably raised at least that many, if not more, children that I've seen over the years. She's obviously never had any of her own, but she raises other peoples who they don't have the funds, or there's trauma, or there's dysfunction, or whatever it is. And she not only raises them, but she takes full responsibility, which means feeding them, mentoring them. Uh, evangelizing them, discipling them, paying for their school fees, paying for their, their clothing to go to school, their books. This is a lady that lives below what we would call the poverty level, next to nothing, but she joyfully, graciously ministers continuously. You know, humbleness comes to my mind right away when somebody says Vicki Waraka. But let me go back a minute, and I'm just going to thank the, whoever's listening, whatever donors have donated to Vicki in the past for, for Vicki and for her home and for her adopted teenage girls that she has. Just thank you for that, because um, whatever you have donated, she does not keep for herself. She gives it away to widows that are in her church. She's taking some funds, some donations, improved her home. And then on top of it, she's improved it once again, just by herself. There's five teenage girls there living with her and then a young boy. And she's raising them up in a very biblical family. And just so we can get around some of our American things, when we hear she's improved her home, that doesn't mean for her what it means for us. She's not upgrading things that are already there to fit a different style or something like that. She's putting things there, basic necessities that have never been there before. She's providing basic privacy, basic security that would preserve the lives of these orphans and very traumatized young people these teenage young ladies that live there. When Vicki took them in, she didn't have a place for them to go to the bathroom or to shower. Well, 
they don't shower, but they use a tub and a cup and they wash off. They had no privacy. She had blue plastic tarps, three-sided, three but she didn't have enough to make it a fourth side. They would either have to go out and try to do this in the middle of the night or risk people peeking through the fence that's made out of the elephant grass watching them do this. To improve her home, she went from having a mud, dirt-clawed floor to now having some concrete down so that the bugs didn't get in. Instead of having mud on the walls, they put a little bit of plaster on it. And instead of cooking on a mud, handmade little stove, Kind of like the size of a footstool, right? About the size of a footstool. Put a little charcoal, a little wood in there, and they put the pots on it. It's really quite beautiful and neat the way they make them, but they're all made from mud and clay and rocks and a little grate. But it was sitting outside, so when it rained, they would have to cook outside or not cook at all. But she's able to build a small wood shed that they call the kitchen, and they cook inside now so that they can have food all the time. And so she's done all these little things to make it easier for the people that live with her. And yet she's so grateful because she didn't have anything. She was living with a relative and people in America, people that are listening today, stepped up, sacrificed, and helped a dear precious lady. She's not technically a widow, but she's carrying on the responsibilities of, of a widow and caring for people. She's a special lady. Remember, we're talking about South Sudan. It's not a cool climate. It's very hot there, very humid. She has no electricity, no running water, but that is not stopping what she's doing. She continues her mission. When I think about what you said about Vicki and our partner Lazarus as well, they grew up in this culture. What do you attribute Vicki's gentleness to instead of becoming like the brokenness around her how has she managed to remain gentle and soft-hearted probably best answer that by sharing a little story about Lazarus that will relate to both of them Lazarus was a young boy the Muslim North were dropping bombs from helicopters in his village he wanted to run into the church where all of his family and his friends were and all of his church members and some man grabbed him and his younger brother and yanked them back and wouldn't let them run into that and said, run, 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 as these bombs are, are dropping all around. And Lazarus said as he was running away, he looked over his shoulder and he saw a bomb drop on the building and kill or maim a majority, if not all of the people inside. And he was able to get away. He ran and ran and ran. And he said a bomb blew up behind him and there had been a lady running behind them trying to get away with him and she was no more. And he said, we ran the rest of the day, and finally the sun was starting to go down, my brother and I, and we came to some people around a campfire. And he said, we came up and we asked him if we could come and sit around this because we had nothing but the rags that we had for clothes. We had nothing. We didn't know if we had family. We didn't know anything. And he said, he's sitting there, and a man came up, grabbed the shoulder of his shirt, and started tugging on it and said, in essence, son, you need to take this shirt off and get rid of it. Lazarus said, yeah, but this is all that I have. And what the man was trying to say was, on the back of him, little did he know, there were the remains of other people that had been traumatized in the, with these bombs going off, and that's all that this boy had. He said, I should have been blown up. I should have been vaporized. And he said, from that day forward, I have trusted that God would take care of me. He said, there are multiple of those kinds of situations. 
He has little to no income. We would say he lives under poverty. He's got six children of his own and his brother's six children to be responsible for. And then he's got all of his other relatives because they've made him the head of the household. And he's got all this responsibility for 23 people in his mud hut compound. And he revels in it. He is elated that he has been given this opportunity. You ask the question, how did Vicky, how did Lazarus get through this? Only by the grace of God. Mm. Only by the Holy Spirit living inside of them and showing them not what they don't have and not making them victims of what has happened to them, but showing them what God wants to do with them and where God wants to take them and how God wants to use them and what God has in store for them for all eternity. The only thing that could possibly rescue someone out of that kind of trauma in those kinds of situations. And, and Vicki has, as a young lady, has as many of those kinds of situations, seeing people shot coming into a village that had been strafed by the machine guns of people, only by God's grace, focusing on who Christ is in their life and what God has in store for them as opposed to what's happened to them. Yeah, I always am amazed to hear Vicki talk, and she doesn't seem to be held back by the fact that she doesn't really have any physical means to offer people. She knows that she's offering Jesus and that that's even better than meeting their physical needs, although she is part of helping meet physical needs as well. But I am always amazed that she's so laser-focused on the goodness of Jesus. Amen. Yes, I think one of the things that I noticed uh, on this trip that I may not have noticed um, last year, Steve, is that not only does Vicki and Lazarus help the elderly, the widows, but they're helping the children, they're helping the next generation. Because in a broken society, if you don't help the next generation, if you don't bring those values and the Christian beliefs into the hearts of the children, then where will society be next? Vicki, you see, she's doing that very clearly with all the uh, teenage girls that she has, but Lazarus is doing it too with, with his family members. I think uh, one of his daughter's names is uh, Lydia, and she is out there just uh, spreading the gospel, teaching the kids in the neighborhood that they live in who speak a lot of Arabic uh, and come from perhaps a Muslim background, a Muslim family. She's out there teaching them the Word of God day by day. That's excellent. The multiplication possibilities there are really exciting. So I want to talk about Vicki and her ministry lately. She's been helping some women get on their feet, and you guys got to meet some of those women that were recipients of these micro-business loans where Vicki gave them some seed money to help um, start a business and let them get on their feet, provide for their family, be able to tithe and support the work of the Lord through the church. And you guys got to meet some of those ladies, so I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that and you could share that experience. Okay, why don't you share a little bit about why these ladies actually need help in the first place? These ladies are really no different than the stories we've been telling you about Vicki and Lazarus. They've brought into their little homes, their little compounds, their family members. They're widows, they may be single, but around them are their parents, maybe their grandparents, maybe their relatives, their children. So they have the same situation that Vicki and Lazarus have, but they have nothing. 
They have no trade. Perhaps their husband was killed in the war or killed by terrorists or whatever the situation is. They're there with nobody bringing in income, no support for them. Many of yes. them don't even have education. They don't even know exactly their alphabet or even numbers because they never had a chance to go to school. Right. So they're, they're there to help them, to give them a start, uh, a new start, to um, also to help them raise funds somehow to help the family around them. Many of these ladies genuinely love the Lord. I mean, they genuinely love the Lord, and they recognize that the hope only comes from the Lord. And so for them to have hope in this environment, they need to get closer to the Lord. Lazarus loves to take us into these compounds, these dirt and mud and stick and broken compounds, but these ladies, he points in many times and says, see her? She takes what money she gets, what little money she gets, she makes sure the first part goes to the church. She makes sure she won't spend it, she won't do anything, she makes sure it goes to the church because she wants to tithe and honor the Lord with her first fruits. Many of them would love to have an opportunity to work. They would love any opportunity. And there's so little opportunity in this harsh, rugged, difficult, angry environment. There's just not much there. Vicki comes along and says, hey, do you want to try to start a business? Or many of them will even come to Vicki and say, can you help? Can you help? Can you help? And Vicki has a heart for these people. So some of our donors have said, we want to help them. We want to help them expand what they're doing. And, and you know, I love the old saying, if you give a fish, you feed them for a day, you teach them to fish, you can feed them for a lifetime. And these ladies don't want to fish. They want to learn to fish. And, and they want to learn to do commerce. They want to learn to do things so that they can faithfully care for the people God's placed in front of them. They don't look at it as this massive burden, they straight up accept the responsibility to look after the needy, and yet they, they don't have the tools to do it. So Vicki has created a group where they get together and they talk about the needs and the challenges and the opportunities, and they come up with all kinds of things. One lady took some money and bought plastic chairs, took the chairs up to the side of the road where the people make tea and bread, and rents them to the people doing that so that her customers can sit and drink more tea. It's brilliant. Other ladies got a little oven and they bake bread. One of them, the oven is, is almost like a Dutch oven where it's just a tin box or a steel box and they have to put coals on top of it to bake and they bake this bread and then they sell the bread. One of them has a little store where they sell, it's like a, a tiny convenience store. It's like a little booth, but it's a store and they, They'll do whatever if you just give them the seeds, the seed money, to jump in and get something started. And they're taught to bring the first fruits back. They're taught to take a portion and help somebody else. It's amazing to watch the commerce building in these ladies. But for every 5 or 10 or 20 or 100 that we help, there's a 1,000 more that could use the same thing because the men have either been killed in the conflicts They've been traumatized to the place that they're alcoholics or they're off carousing. And so these women are left with these hungry faces and these hungry mouths and these needs and no way to meet them unless people step in and help them.
Each one of them that we visited, we might have visited a half a dozen of these uh, women. Every time you walked up to the compound, there they were standing waiting for you with smiling faces. You could feel the joy of their heart. They're not doing this in labor. They're doing this to glorify God and provide back to him uh, the fruits of their labor, the tithes back to the Lord. And at the same time, they're providing for their family. It doesn't look like it's a struggle. You know, some people might be listening and go, it's such a struggle for me to get up at 8 o'clock and go to work each day. For them, they do work each day. They do work hard each day. But it's a joy. It's a joy in their heart, and you can just see it in, in their faces. Yeah, so. baking bread in a steel box in South Sudan sounds very hot and, and labor-intensive. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the heat with the heat of the day, the sun shining down hard on them. Yeah. And so just to clarify, when you said earlier they're taught, they're not taught that by the culture. They're taught that through Vicky's training that she gives them before she gives them Absolutely. Uh, the seed money. Absolutely. Their culture teaches them to be afraid to be hopeless, to be victims, to live in trauma. That's what their culture teaches. And Vicky, Vicky takes him and does the difference. Lazarus teaches him hope and love and joy and future. One of the ladies we visited was baking bread. Uh, and she has a little hut there where she bakes the bread. And it gives her not only an opportunity to maybe raise a little funds, but her neighbors come to her to buy the bread. So she gets to not only sell the bread to them, but also to share the gospel with them at the same time. Earlier, Steve, you said some of them don't know their ABCs and they don't know to read and write. And a little bit more recently, Lazarus has started to address that in, um, in his ministry along with his church. And you guys got to visit that ministry as well. And I'd like to hear a little bit about your time at Lazarus's adult school. Yeah, that was amazing. Lazarus said, I, I want to start a school. Well, every other school that we've worked with typically is a preschool or elementary age or something along those lines. And he said, I want to start a school. He said, I want to show you. He took us down a walkway. We walked over the, this bridge that's got sewage flowing underneath it. We walked into this open area, and it was actually a school ground, not his. I think it was a public school ground that's made out of sticks and mud, dirt floors. I believe they had tin roofs, and the seats were logs stuck up out of the ground with another log over the top of them. You sat there without a back on a hard round log, the students did, and they walked us into this room and there was not a child in the room. They were all adults. It was afternoon after work, farming, or whatever they had to do that these adults would gather and these teachers that had had an opportunity to get an education would come in as a ministry and teach them ABCs and one, two, threes and some history and all those things. The reason is, is to get them to where they can study the Bible. When we were there, the one gift that they wanted, the one thing they wanted that Lazarus shared with them that we might be able to help, they wanted a Bible. Lazarus hasn't paid these teachers in six months because he didn't have any money, but they continue to do it because it's a ministry. Amazing. So, you know, we've talked all about the trauma that's going on, all the issues that are going on, but so you have lots and lots of little children running around. In fact, when we were there, it rained so hard, they're collecting the sand that came down from the mountains to sell it just to do something. You have three, four, five-year-old children out there collecting the sand, but most of them with a smile on their face. And think of 
all the trauma the adults have, but the children are so innocent. They're innocent from a lot of that until they start to grow up to be teenagers and adults. But when they're young, they too, they just wanna learn. They wanna know the word, they wanna learn the word. I was privileged to bring a, a little soccer ball and to play with them on the soccer ball. It had a number of uh, gospel stories on it. It had the Ten Commandments. It's had uh, the salvation story on it. We've got to play with it, but while playing with the soccer ball, we would stop. And Lazarus' daughter, Lydia, would announce in Arabic and in English what the ball would say. And I didn't want to leave. Frankly, I would have stayed and slept at Lazarus's house. If I would have, it would have just been a joy to get up the next day and play soccer with these children who have uh, an innocent heart. I hope that uh, God continues to weigh on Lydia and Lazarus and his family to continue to reach out to each and every one of them. Because uh, once the Holy Spirit hits them, the next generation in South Sudan is just going to be wonderful. I think we could probably tell lots of stories, but I think our time is running out. So thank you for sharing your hearts and your stories and your, and your time with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today. And thank you for your partnership that allows faithful, godly believers like Vicki and Lazarus to extend the reach of their ministries. If you would like to know more about our partners' ministries in South Sudan or the micro-business training and help that Vicki is giving that Kent and Steve were talking about or the other ways we mentioned that people can get involved and help those ministries in South Sudan, you can find all of that on our website at intouchmission.org slash South Sudan. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.